Alright, here it is, again, and it's called... I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope, it's a killer of spirit. You know, punk rock is about three chords, four if you And Bebo plays for Muffy's party. So, Rob, did you know that in the middle of the 1970s, there was just like disco and hippie rock and hard rock, but there was nothing that sounded even remotely like punk? And then one night, one fateful night, the Sex Pistols got on stage for the first time and single-handedly invented punk? Are you kidding me? I don't know if I buy that. Well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I'm right, because I'm always right about everything. <laughs> but okay. we've got an hour to duke it out and see if I'm correct or if mm -hmm. you're correct to question my wisdom. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the world premiere of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. Now, what exactly is Deep Dives and Deep Cuts? Well, Deep Dives and Deep Cuts is our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing some deep dives and some deep cuts um, regarding a punk, post-punk, and new wave music. Um you know, within the, the time frame of 1976 to 1986. It, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. I think that says it all. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be cool if we had, like, an official little blurb? Yeah, we actually do. I've got one right here. We do? Okay, yeah. well, why don't, why don't you read it so everyone can get up to speed? You got it. All right. Deep Dives and Deep Cuts join Rob and Joseph as they chronologically discuss all the notable albums of the punk new wave movement. From the messy anarchic noise of the early 70s proto-punk rockers to the, to the tired, polished death rattles of the mid-80s corporate synth poppers, no stone goes unturned in their quest to fully examine the birth, life, and death of the wave that produced some of the most beloved songs in the modern popular music. How's that? I think that does it. I think that's yeah. a pretty good blurb. Um, <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. So, hey, this is not officially episode one. This is our intro right, episode. Right. And um, as is appropriate in an intro episode, we have to do all of our introduction stuff, you know, like talk about the inspiration of the podcast. We got to talk about our history and credentials we got to talk yeah. about you know a little little of this a little bit of that and we will but here's what i want to do like a a spoiled little four-year-old i want to eat dessert first <laughs> okay. so i want to i want to get to the good stuff i want to get to the music i want to i want to play some music i want to talk about some music Let's have that dessert first, and then once we're done um, talking about and listening to all, all of the music that we will for this episode, we will get into, we'll go back and we'll eat our vegetables for <laughs> okay. anyone who wants to stick around for that. But I say let's just jump into listening and talking about music as quickly as possible. What do you think? I'm, I'm all for that. Let's do it. 
typically on this show we will we will be taking a segment of time um, and we will discuss every relevant album released within that time frame mm-hmm. listen to a cut talk about um, the album and then move on to the next one so what we want to do today is we want to take a look at all of the music that came before the punk and new wave m- movement that that really inspired it absolutely um, yeah. so Let's start with with just some generalizations, um, and we'll just gloss over the stuff real quick. Um, <clears throat> I guess we should start in the 60s. So in the 60s and 70s, there was garage rock, which was very much the um, precursor to punk. In fact, a lot of the uh, early punk pan- bands really just started out as garage rock and then kind of kicked it up to a new level. You you, you listen to the MC5s, yeah. and it's very much garage rock, just, you know, just a little, a little more so. Um, <clears throat> so that was throughout the 60s into the 70s. Some of the most prominent um, uh, garage rock bands were the Bad Seeds, Blue Cheer, Guess Who, The Kingsmen, The Kinks, The Early Kinks, Love, Pretty Things, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Question Mark and the Mysterians, The Sonics, Tommy James and the Shundells, and The Trogs. Yeah. It's all the, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Then um, uh, right on the tails of that was the 70s glam rock movement, also referred to as glitter rock. Uh, The prominent bands are Roxy Music, T-Rex, Mott and the Hopple, Sweet, Slade, Gary Glitter, and of course David Bowie, who we will talk about a little bit more um, later on in the show. About the same time, 70s pub rock, particularly English 70s pub rock scene, was taking off. Uh, prominent bands being Dr. Phil Good, Ace, and the 101ers. Of course, the 101ers are, are most significant because it was the band that Joe Strummer of The Clash was in before they formed The Clash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that brings us up to the middle of the 70s. Um, so now, Rob, let's talk about some specific bands that are really sort of the proto-punk bands. Yeah, for sure. And if we're talking proto-punk, we really have to start with the Velvet Underground. They, uh, formed in 1964 and then, um, broke up in 1973. So, Rob, why don't you, um... You talk a little bit about your love for... Yeah, you bet. Um, well, I, I love this band. Um, you know, I, I, I remember hearing Velvet Underground throughout my childhood, but um, the, the band, I think, really... I really noticed them after the movie The Doors came out, the uh, Oliver Stone film. Um, and there was a song that played in that in that that movie that really just got to me. Of course, there's, there's all kinds of music throughout that entire film and and I love it all, but the velvet underground for some reason just, just hit me. Um, 
there was a song called Heroin that a friend of mine used to cruise up and down the uh, the foothills listening to. Uh, we would we would drive in the car with the windows open and we would listen to this and the song kind of starts slow and then gets faster and faster and it winds up and then it slows down again and that's exactly how we were cruising like he would hit the gas and just pick it up to top speed and let it down and for some reason that that song just really stuck with me um but it's it's a great song i think yeah so is that the song that we're going to hear today i would yeah i say let's go for it let's listen to okay so uh before we play it let's just mention um okay We need to ta- take a pause here and talk about Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> yeah, of so course. As we as we talk about albums and songs, occasionally we will drop little nuggets of uh, of knowledge on you about that particular album or song, um, and quite often it'll be, you know, from a, a some list of the best. However many from Rolling Stone magazine, <laughs> and um, all I can say about that is I think it's important to note because it's you know it is uh, Rolling Stone magazine is sort of a cultural milestone, but um, it's but please keep in mind it it needs to be taken with a, a huge grain of salt the biggest possible grain of salt you can find um, because. Rolling Stone magazine, in my estimation, is always wrong. <laughs> I never agree with their ranking, like, even a little bit. So, but we're, from time to time, we will mention it. And so, um, you know, just take it, you know, make make of it what you will. So... According to Rolling Stone magazine, heroin is the 448th greatest song of all time. And um, Sweet Jane, which is another song by the Velvet Underground, is the 335th greatest song of all time. I would have put it probably at 332nd, but, you know. (laughs) Now that you know that... Now that you know what Rolling Stone thinks about this song, you will be able to enjoy it even a little bit more. There you go. Heroin. It's my wife and it's my life <laughs> because a man to my vein needs to a center. Okay, so before we move on from the from the Velvet Underground, I guess I need to. I mean, uh, probably the listeners have noticed that uh, I haven't really said anything as far as my my personal feelings about the Velvet Underground. Um, 
And that's because I just, it just, they just don't do a single thing for me, which is uh, weird because some of a, a couple of my favorite bands are, you know, you can hear the very distinct influence of the, of the Velvet Underground. I mean, I love the Violent Femmes. Love, mm-hmm. love, love the Violent Femmes. Oh, yeah, they're in there. And, and you, there's no way that Gordon Gano, the lead singer of the Violent Femmes, wasn't hugely influenced by Lou Reed. So I don't know why Lou Reed just doesn't do a single thing for me, but he just doesn't do a single thing for me. So um, anytime we talk about Lou Reed or the... Um, the Velvet Underground, I'm just, I, I appreciate their significance, um, and they have influenced so many great bands. It's just not my cup of tea, and it's, it's very specifically, it's Lou Reed. Um, so. <laughs> well, so, so while that's happening, you know, in, on your end, I'll be glowing and beaming yeah, over here, yeah. because I love Lou Reed, and I yeah. love the Velvet Underground. It's like Brussels sprouts, you know, they're yeah. good for you, but not everybody likes yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And this this dynamic that uh, that um, you're seeing right here between Rob and I, this is going to come up a lot because a I'm lot. I'm really like the grumpy old picky man who doesn't like anything, and Rob is like the happy-go-lucky guy who loves everything. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say everything, but but when I love it, I really love it, and and there's a lot that I really love. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to the Stooges. So the Stooges formed in 1967 and uh, broke up in 1974. They're, of course, um, most famously the band um, that gave us Iggy Pop. Their most famous songs are I Want to Be Your Dog, Search and Destroy, 1969, and Give Me Danger. Oh, yeah. Uh, Here's what Rolling Stone thinks about the Stooges. It thinks that I Want to Be Your Dog is the 438th greatest song of all time, <laughs> and Search and Destroy is the 468th greatest song of all time. So there's that. Now, it must be true. Now, we're not going to listen to either of those songs. We're going to listen to a more obscure cut you picked out called I Gotta Write. I Gotta Write, absolutely. And the reason I picked this song, I, I mean, I think it's an amazing song. I like the energy behind it. Uh, I like uh, Iggy Pop's, uh, uh, I, I, I just like the, the energy that he puts into the song. Um, I also think it's kind of, to me, uh, kind of encompasses or, or kind of displays what exactly the Stooges are, for me anyway. But it was later released in a collection of songs recorded for the Raw Power album. Um, not all those tracks actually got put on the album until much later, which is where this one comes in. So. So I had never heard this song until you picked it out. 
Mm-hmm. And I really like it. Um, yeah. I like yeah. it a lot. Now, I like the Stooges um, a lot. I've been listening to them, you know, since high school. They are not, you know, they wouldn't make my top 50 all-time favorite bands. But, sure. But um, I, I've had, over the years, I've had all of their albums on CD, and I listen to them occasionally. And I, I have um, nothing negative to say about the Stooges. I think they're, you know, you look at them and you go, yep, punk's about to hit. You know, they're, they're right there. Um, they're right there on the cusp. And, of course... Um, Iggy, Iggy Pop, we're going to be hearing a lot from Iggy Pop over the course of this series. So I, I don't just know. The idea, need... Just the idea that, that they were at the beginning of punk and Iggy Pop is still kicking out music is, is, pretty, yeah, is yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about David Bowie. David Bowie's first album was released in 1967. Um, I don't. Well, I love David Bowie. Yeah. Love, love, love David Bowie. I, you know, when I think punk, I don't think David Bowie, but when I think New Wave, I do. I would say if there was a godfather of New Wave, it would be David Bowie as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so we've, um, so far we've talked about the Velvet Underground, the Stooges, and David Bowie. So we should um, probably just note that the, the, um, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, and Lou Reed are very closely intertwined around this period. So mm-hmm. they, um, they once Lou Reed um, leaves the Velvet Underground, um, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and um, Lou Reed are all get on the in the same um, management team, and they're very closely intertwined. David Bowie, at this point, he's, um, he's released um, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, so he's the biggest popular star of the yeah. three. He, Shining he, pretty bright. Yeah, he um, ends up producing albums for both Lou Reed and um, Iggy Pop, including Lou Reed's most commercially... And I think critically successful album called Tra- Translator Transistor. Tran- yeah. Is it Translator? Oh, we we better look yeah. that up. <laughs> We're gonna have to look it up. <laughs> okay. Um, I have all of Lou Reed's music, but I'll be honest. There's so much of it now that I don't even know the names of them. It is now. Transformer. Yeah. If I asked you to, or or not you specifically, Rob, but if I went and to, you know, down the street and I ask somebody to name a Lou Reed song, mm-hmm. chances are they would name a song off of this album because it, it has all of his hits. Of course, the really big one is Take a, Wild, uh, Take a Walk on the Wild Side um, and then Satellite of Love and there's a couple more. Um, Perfect Day. Uh, so this is, this is Lou Reed's Big album um, produced by David, David Bowie. Bowie. Yeah, cool. 
We will not uh, be listening to a song by David Bowie today just because we are going to hear so much David Bowie over the throughout course of the entire, series. Yeah, throughout yeah. the entire series. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to the Modern Lovers. The Modern Lovers, um, they formed in 1970. They broke up in 1974. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine thinks that Roadrunner is the 269th greatest song of all time. Wow. So, so here's uh, something interesting about the Modern Lovers is that um, their original recording, um, I believe it was recorded in um, 1970, 1971, was not actually released into ni- until 1977. Right. Um, they are... Uh, so the, the lead singer is um, Jonathan Richmond. Most people know Jonathan Richmond as the the troubadour in the movie um, There's Something About Mary. He's, I didn't he's, know that. That's pretty he's cool. He's the guy who, who pops up in the tree with his little ukulele <laughs> and uh, sing, sings a quirky little song. Um, uh, the Modern Lovers also had... Um, Members go on to uh, help form the bands, the Talking Heads and the Cars. Nice. Very good. A couple of my favorites. Yep. They are also um, significant in the sense that um, a lot of very famous artists, uh, punk and new wave artists, have done covers of their songs. John Cale uh, is one of those, by the way. He... uh... He actually produced the album, uh, the Modern Lovers album, um, but uh-huh. he went on to went on to cover the song uh, Pablo Picasso on uh, yes. Eleanor Troy, his album. His, yeah, his album. Um, David Bowie has done a cover of that song too, which is wow. probably the worst possible version of that song. <laughs> David Bowie is awesome, Imagine but that. man, he does terrible covers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to Pablo Picasso. Well, the girls would turn the color of the avocado when he would drive down their street in his Eldorado. He could walk down your street and girls could not resist the stare. Pablo Picasso never got called an asshole, not like you. So you say that you you were not familiar with the Modern Lovers until we started preparing for the show. Right, not really, but I love them. I I, I think that uh, I I I like the content of the songs. You know, it's I like the sound, I like the lyrics, um, especially this song. I really enjoyed it, and I did a little little reading up on Richmond just because I I like where where does he get these lyrics? You know, um, he said he said that that. This song is based on his own adolescent self-consciousness of women and how he kind of went into or, or tried to go into relationships. <laughs> so, but I, I totally dig this song. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, now let's talk about suicide. Oh, yeah. Suicide formed in 1970. Um, they're... Um, among one of the first bands to be documented as using the phrase punk music in an ad for a concert. This was in 1970. Wow. Um, they didn't... Be before punk music was... Before punk rock was a thing, really. Yeah, that's right. They didn't release any albums until 1977. So we're going to listen to a song, and I... This is probably their most famous song called Dream Baby Dream. And I am perplexed by this song because here's, here's what happened. <sighs> Suicide influences a lot of bands who go out and cut albums and become successful. And then... Suicide records and releases an album. So, if Dream Baby Dream, the version that they actually recorded, sound, sounds exactly like what they were doing in 1970 or 1971 or 72, then, then they are astonishing visionaries. Ahead but, of their time. Yeah. But you can't tell... I think we've got this weird feedback loop with them where we're listening to a song that quite possibly is influenced by bands that were influenced by them. Oh, so, wow. So we, yeah. I can't, I just can't wrap my brain around exactly how visionary they were in their sound because this is, of the stuff that we've listened to, this is the the first song and really the only song we're going to hear today that you would you would think to to describe as even being remotely new wave right everything mm -hmm. else is pretty proto-punk sounding right so that's my ongoing dilemma with suicide and and why it breaks my brain every time i listen to the song but let's go ahead and listen to it sure enough <laughs> first heard this I thought oh Rob's gonna like this <laughs> you, you know it yeah <laughs> you know, I hear some uh, like joy division in there very mm -hmm. much so right right yeah very um, much so it would be it would be really interesting to to know you know how much uh joy division listened to suicide before they recorded their albums and how much suicide listened to joy division before they recorded theirs 
Right. Well, it, the, the 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 fact that you brought up that there's like this uh, feedback of 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 uh, influence, kind of. I mean, I just started thinking about that. It kind of racks my brain too. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's very possible that both bands were influenced by each other. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say almost certainly. And when, when I first heard this song, though, I, I will say. Uh, it, it kind of reminded me, and this is going to sound really silly, but it kind of reminded me of a, like a young Bruce Springsteen. Um, and I know that that sounds kind of silly, but it, it, I don't know why, but that, that kind of got into my brain. As it turns out, this song itself, Dream Baby Dream, was covered by Bruce Springsteen himself. So that's, that's well, do, do you think maybe you had heard that song at some point and that was your subconscious? Because I don't hear it any Bruce Springsteen in well, this at all. Th this may surprise you, but I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I know I like everything, but no, I'm, I'm not a fan of Bruce Springsteen, so I probably not. That doesn't actually really surprise me. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, now we have to talk about the New York Dolls. New York Dolls, they do nothing for me. Um, highly influential, body, 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 blah. But I cannot get into this band. To me, it just sounds like 70s boogie woogie rock. You know, I hear a lot of the Stones in there. You know, I, I just, I, it sounds very of its time. Um, yeah. So, here are some little nuggets um, about the song Personality Crisis, which is the song we're going to be hearing, which is their probably their most famous song. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine thinks it's the 267th greatest song of all time. Uh, now, the, the most interesting thing about this band, to me, is that um, the... Oh, and i got to make sure that I get his name right because I always mangle it but Malcolm McLaren who was sort of self-proclaimed mastermind of the Sex Pistols was supposedly the story goes obsessed with the New York Dolls in fact he mm -hmm. he moved to New York for a period and was sort of the unofficial manager slash agent um, for the New York Dolls before the New York, New York Dolls just completely fell apart. Um, <clears throat> then he went back to England and decided that he was going to do his own version of the New York Dolls, and thus the Sex Pistols were created. Who knows how much of that is true, but that is, that's the, the legend. I see. Um, well, so you, you know I'm a big a big Kiss fan. That's no surprise, and it's no secret. Yeah. Um, they're they're a guilty pleasure. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm probably going to piss off some some Kiss fans here if any are listening. <laughs> but I think that the New York Dolls were basically the Kiss precursor. You know, they had all the makeup and they had uh, that sound. And I think that uh, I think that New York Dolls is probably even a better band than Kiss. Um, that mm, said, debatable, but. Well, that that said, uh, I'm not I'm not a giant New York Dolls fan, but uh, but I I do appreciate David Johansson and I do appreciate some of what they did. Uh, I was not listening. To, I was not aware of music when they were around. That was before my time, so I sort of chalk it up to uh, 
they were of their time. You, you kind of had to be there. They, yeah. <laughs> they influenced a lot of great bands who did this kind of music much better. That's my take on them. T- Tony Fletcher, who's an author, wrote a book, uh, wrote a, a biography about Keith Moon, and he wrote a biography of, or a book about R.E.M. He says that uh, personality crisis, he knew from the start that it would become the instant glitter rock anthem. I mean, you know, take that as you will. Let's listen to it. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about the New York Dolls? No. Um... I just want to note I'm being very dismissive of them because there it's just not my cup of tea. There's I doesn't engage me at all. I don't want anyone to think that I don't appreciate the significance of their music. It just doesn't speak to me. There's plenty in this list that will speak to you, so that's yeah, yeah. Good. That's right. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the Dictators. The Dictators uh, formed in 1973. They broke up in 1978. Um, Interesting little tidbit about the Dictators. The founders of Punk Magazine started it strictly so that they could, quote, hang out with the Dictators. Nice. That's how you do it. (laughs) So let's listen to um, one of their songs called um, Master Race Rock. So this I'm liking a lot more. I like it quite a bit. Um, I, I was surprised to find out, though, to discover that uh, Ross the Boss Friedman uh, from the Dictators went on to be the founding member of this really ridiculous, uh, epic metal band that I used to love in the late 80s called Manowar. I mean, they were oh. they were really silly, but... Yeah, no, but, I, I actually hear... I mean, you, in, in this song, you hear... Th- the bombastic nature of yeah, someone yeah. who would go on to form Manowar. So I feel like all of the, in this song, all of the pieces are in place. Yeah. You hear several different elements, which would later on become tropes of, of punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were kind of there first. So hats off to them. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to MC5. They were a band that worked together for like three seconds um, from 1974 <laughs> to 1975. They are famous for the song Kick Out the Jams. 
And Good. so we are going to listen to that song. Well, I feel pretty good, and I guess that I could get crazy now, baby. Cause we all got it through, and when the dressing room got hazy now, baby. I know how you want it, child. I quit that time. The girls can't stand it when you're doing it right. And then I'm on the stand, and let them kick out the chair. So both you and I were familiar with this. So I, I don't mm-hmm. know how you can exist in the world and be interested in, in this kind of music and not be familiar not, with this yeah, song. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was interesting. I always, um, I was familiar with a, ver- a different version of the song, which I couldn't find, which was the... Uh, kick out the jams motherfucker version i just assumed that that was the original version of the song it is not what we listen to is the original version which surprised me um huh. so you know what surprised me and I, I i don't know why i didn't know this before but uh fred smith of mc5 was married to patty smith um which is which is pretty funny. I mean, I don't know why I didn't get that. You know, the hello, same last name. I mean, it's a common last name, but still. Uh, Fred, by the way, was inducted into the West Virginia Music Hall of Fame in 2018, posthumously, of course. But there you go. 1974 to 1975 exists a little band called Rocket from the Tombs. Um, we will not be listening to any of their music today, but it, they are notable because um, members of this band went on to found both Per Ubu and the Dead Boys, and uh, both of which we're going to be hearing a lot of in this series. That brings us to Patti Smith, talking about Patti Smith. So, so Patti Smith is the female equivalent of Lou Reed for me. Where oh. <laughs> I absolutely right. appreciate her significance, but um, I just doesn't do anything for me. Which is, yeah, yeah which is kind of funny because... Yeah. I, she, you know, it's more in the vein of the stuff that I like, but... yeah. It surprises me that you're not really into her. Probably her most famous song is Gloria, which is a um, a cover that she did off of her first album. Patti Smith is 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 known as the punk poet laureate, by the way. I'm I'm familiar with uh, a lot of her music, but I'm I'm also really familiar with her poetry, which is really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was an important part of the New York City punk rock movement. You know, she was there when the Ramones were playing CBGB. She was there when Blondie yep. was playing CBGBs. So yep. next episode, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit more about her. So let's move on to the last song that we're going to hear today. Um, let, let's just listen to the song before we talk about it. It is a song called Freaking Out by a band called... Death. Wait for oh, it. Sorry. Wait for it. Death. 
Of all of the music where we've listened to today, this is hands down my my favorite. Um, it's kind of too soon to tell. Ask me in you know eight or ten months, but I think this song could end up being one of my all time favorite punk songs ever. Yeah. I mean, I... to me, it's like right up there with like Gary Gilmore's Eyes or. Mm-hmm. Or Holiday in Cambodia, 12XU. I love this band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I really dig it too, of course. It, uh, yeah. I probably don't even need to say that. But um, uh, there's, a, there's a squabble amongst Detroit music fans who say that uh, Death might actually be the very first punk rock band. Um, I'm, I'm going to argue that a little bit, but, <laughs> but you know, they had it going on before some of the others. So this is definitely, definitely yeah, the well, thing. They, they um, did not um, produce any LPs while they were together. Um, so, so they, they, oh, okay. So let's, uh, let's circle back here a little bit and just talk, talk a little bit about, who these guys are. This, is, this was um, three African-American brothers in Detroit. They um, were only together for a couple of years. They, did, they recorded some demos for a record label that, and didn't get picked up. And those demos were never, weren't released until like 2010 or something. So they were really a long lost gem. Um, there's only there's only a, a handful of songs available of theirs out there, like less than ten. Um, they're all really good, but they are um, none of the other songs sound like this. This is this is the only like true blue punk sounding song. The rest of them sound a little bit more of their time. But but very very talented, um, inventive, um, high spirited band, and I I like every single one of their songs. <clears throat> they they started out as like a funk band, right? Yeah. Um, they they and, were called the they were called the Rockfire Funk Express. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then they they started hearing some of the other music. Um, kicking around and kind of change their direction, but you can still f- hear the funk in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, not maybe not so much this song as as their other stuff, but if if you like this, I suggest that you go on Spotify. As far as I know, Spot Spotify has everything that they produced, um, so definitely check it out. Hey, that puts us up. To um, 1976. So um, we are done talking about the proto-punk bands. Um, But before we move on to the broccoli of this, I just want to to mention um, really a very 
interesting and enlightening documentary that I saw not too long ago on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's still there. Um, it's called uh, Punk Revolution NYC, The Velvet Underground, The New York Dolls, and The CBGB Set. Um, I learned so much watching this. Um, I, was, I was a little bit scared of it. You know, I put off watching it for a while because I don't particularly care for the Velvet Underground and the New York Dolls, but, but I would say the first half is about those two bands and the, just the Andy Warhol factory movement, and then it gets into the CBGB stuff um, and does a really good job of, of showing just how intertwined all of the music, um, particularly in, in the um, like East Coast scene, was and, and how everybody influenced everybody else. Um, I highly recommend that you check it out if, if you're interested in this, this scene, this time, and this kind of music. And that's, that's on Netflix, you said? No, no. Um, it was on Amazon Prime, say, a month ago. I would assume that it still is, but you just, you just don't know about that yeah. stuff. Got to look for it. Well, we've had our dessert. Let's circle back now and talk a little bit about this podcast and uh, what to expect. Let's talk about the inspiration for this. We this yeah. um, this podcast has been in the works for uh, a little over a year. We um, I think we originally um, started brainstorming about it. Um, maybe 14 or 16 months ago. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I I almost say that that it's been in the, in the works for almost 10 years, to be honest. And that's, that's just because, you know, we have talked, I mean, we've talked music since since forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But we've been, we have been actively working towards, towards this, this publication for the last 12 plus months. Yeah. Um, and so the, uh, the, the inspiration was I'm a big podcast listener and, um, you know, as I'm working on my projects, I've always got a podcast going on in the background. And one day I thought, Hey, I should subscribe to a podcast about new wave music. You know, the, the late seventies, early eighties, I couldn't find, well, I found one, (laughs) and the less said about that, the better. It was like (laughs) eight episodes, and it was one guy who was really uh, snotty and opinionated. Now, (laughs) I can be snotty and opinionated, too. Um, So I I appreciate the irony of that, but... But um, that's why you're here to to counter, to counterbalance. So you got so, got to have that offset. <laughs> yeah. So so according to him, there were there were only eight or ten bands worth talking about, which is silly, silly, silly. Yeah. So um, I reached out to you and I said, "Hey, let's do this podcast." Here's I've I found a a gap that desperately needs to be filled, according to me. 
And um, so we've been working on, we've done, um, we spent over 100 hours building this database of thousands of albums by hundreds of bands. Um, I think we've got, we're going to cover just about every notable, relevant album um, of these you know, that apply to this podcast. That is the plan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's that's how it is. It's, that's how it came together. I, I think, uh, I, I do appreciate you calling on me to be your counterbalance. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then plus I just thought, wouldn't it be fun, you know, yeah. to, to do a, a podcast with Rob? Because yeah, absolutely. Rob's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. thank you. So, so let's. Are you, are you ready to, to move on to the format? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So the format is um, once once we get the first several episodes published, we're gonna we're gonna fall into a schedule of publishing um, two episodes a month. So the first Sunday of the month will be our rundown episode. And then two weeks later, we will release a deep dive episode. So the rundown episode is going to look a lot like what we did here today, where we'll pick a, a period of, of time, typically three months, and we will just go down every single LP that was released that's relevant to the subject matter. Um, talk about it, listen to a cut, and and then at the end of that episode, we will pick one of those bands that we've we've listened to, and two weeks later, we'll spend the entire episode just talking about that band, and we will talk about their entire catalog. So that's going to be the deep dive part of it, is yeah. um, the second episode of the month. And then the deep cut parts um, is, for, for the most part, when we play a song, we won't be playing the obvious, you know, most famous songs, um, because everybody's heard those. For, yeah. well, you know, it, it depends on the band, but f for the most part... You know, when, when we get to the police's synchronicity, we are not going to be playing with or without you. Uh, well, no, I mean, we definitely won't be playing with or without you because that's <laughs> not a song that they did. But we won't be playing um, Every Breath You Take. Right. Um, instead, we will pick a more obscure song off of that album. And... I am really excited about this because there are so many of my very favorite bands where you, you mention the band to somebody and they rattle off like the three songs that everybody knows and that's all that they know. And for, for most of these bands, those aren't even close to the best songs that they've done so when we get to bands like ecstasy and the stranglers oh man it's going to be so much fun oh, <laughs> i cannot wait so let's set aside the next 15 minutes or so to just talk um a little bit about our 
credentials, like the books that we've published and mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the classes that we've taught that make make us experts about this period of new punk yeah. and new wave. So I'll All go first. <laughs> okay. Um, I have none. <laughs> so this might uh, this might actually go quicker than I thought. No, I um I have been listening to this music. I grew up on this music. I've been listening to it virtually my entire life. I um I've been very serious about being a completist, um, particularly when it comes to new wave and like English new wave of the late seventies and, and early eighties. I have a, a CD collection of, of many thousands of CDs, which I never listen to anymore, but, um, this is, this music has been the, the love of my life. Um, you know, as far as what I listen to, um, what about you, Rob? Well, um, I don't have any books and I haven't taught any classes, but uh, <laughs> I was an internet DJ for Music World Radio for a while, um, which uh, is in part where you and I talked about a lot of music. Yeah. Um, uh, not to mention the fact that we worked together years ago and, and had a job where we could play whatever music we wanted. And, and you know, we, we did that. We played all the best music probably the best music that was being played in town was at that place <laughs> in fact uh it's where we found that we had a common uh, a common interest in oingo boingo yeah that was that we bonded over our love i think we first bonded over our love for oingo boingo if if i remember correctly that's it that's it so um, yeah so so we we have known each other since the mid 90s mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and um a lot of our friendship has been music related. I I also had a, a radio show um, in the nine in the early nineties at a at the local public radio station um, in Mendocino County. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I never did get to hear you on the radio, but uh, oh, yeah. I've heard a lot of great stories about your radio show. Yeah, well, that was that was in the early '90s, so we weren't we weren't actually playing yeah. new wave. We were playing, you know, what came after that. But um, mm-hmm. so here here is an important fact our listeners should know, and um, I can tell you right now that sometimes we're going to forget to mention that all of the music that you listen to in every episode will be um, on a Spotify playlist. And the link to that playlist will be in the show notes for the episode. So, um, unfortunately, because of certain restraints, we we can't play the entire song um, during the show. But please do... Click yeah. on that link, go to Spotify, and listen to the entire songs. I mean, part of part of the frustration I have about this format is that, you know, I, and I'm sure that you've come across this uh, yourself, Rob. When you're picking out a song, you're like, well, this is the song that I love the most off of this album, but right. it's like a slow burn song. Yeah. So you, you can't, you know, so when I think about 
David Bowie's, for instance, you know, if we're talking about the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars, well, I love Five Years, but, you know, if somebody who's never heard that song hears 30 seconds of it, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, whatever. It's not really oh, going to grab them. Yeah, it's it's going to be really frustrating when, when we get to Wire and, and we talk about 154 because... All of the songs are like slow burn build build up songs. Well, heroin's kind of like that too. You know, it, is. it yeah. doesn't. You know, listening to 30, 45 seconds doesn't really do it justice. You can contact us in a couple of different ways. Uh, why don't you tell yeah. them about it, Rob? So uh, we are all over the all over the internet right now. Um, we've got a Facebook page, Deep Dives and Deep Cuts. We've got an Instagram actually, Deep Dives Deep Cuts, and you can catch us at Deep Dives Deep Cuts at gmail.com. So you can send us a love note. Tell no. us what you think. Uh, hey, can I say something about? <clears throat> correspondence. Yes. So we are, um, uh, for all of our listeners out there, we are happy to hear from you. And because of the nature of this show, which is we are talking about music, which is an art form, and art is purely subjective, mm-hmm. your opinions are def- in for sure going to be different than Rob's and and I's. And um, we are interested in hearing your opinions, but please do show a little restraint in um, not making it personal, staying civil. Um, And I'm just going to let you know right now that all the correspondence is, is screened. So if you send us an email where you get nasty... Uh, it's just going to be wasted effort because Rob and I are not going to see it. Somebody else is going to read it and just throw gonna, it in the trash. They're going to toss it. We won't even get to see it. Yeah. So <laughs> we we are interested in your differing opinions, but just don't – please don't get personal or nasty. Um, we don't get personal or nasty with you. So. <laughs> um, hey, if we and, can stand talking to each other with different opinions, yeah, I'm sure that, yeah. you know – if we incorrectly state something as far as a factual incident, um, please let us know, and um, we will, uh, uh, you know, correct it later on down the road. Um, yeah, so that's how you get a hold of us. Uh, what is coming up next, Rob? Oh, wow. So coming up next is our... Uh... You know what? Come Hang on, on a buddy, second. you can do it. Hang on a <laughs> no. second. So, uh, coming up next will be our, our first episode, which is basically on the beginning of the punk rock movement, 1976. Six. That's right. So, so, so typically we will we will uh, tackle things in three month chunks, yeah. but next episode we're going to do all of 1976 because although. The punk and new wave movement is really getting going. Um, there are not a lot of full-length LPs released in 1976 that are relevant to this podcast. Um, in fact, most of what we do talk about are going to be releases from bands that aren't quite there, that, that were, you know 
1976 doing music that wasn't punk or or particularly new wave, but then they shifted gears once the movement got going well, and changed, d- yeah. down the road um, releases you know significant contributions to the genre yeah, or it's proto-punk stuff like uh, or like David Bowie or Roxy Music or yeah. that so um, that's 1976 and then after that will be a deep dive of one of the bands that we discussed in 1976 who will that be uh, are we giving that up or are we keeping it a secret <laughs> Do we even know yet? Um, you know what? I, I well, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I want to find out. <laughs> I, I think we've discussed some possibilities. Yeah, but, we have. Um, so, anyways, who whoever it is, it's gonna be a hoot. Yeah, it's gonna be big. You're gonna love it. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, I think we made it. I think we're at the very end of our very first show. Yeah. Um, in <laughs> we're two, still here. <laughs> that's right. In two weeks, it's going to be episode one, 1976. So we will talk to you all then. Thanks all right. for listening and have yourselves a good night. See ya. Hey Rob, I I got an idea for a segment. Okay, what's that? It it's called hidden track. No. So you know how we've agreed that um, an episode should be about an hour long. Mm-hmm. Well, with all of the music that we have to play and discuss, we're just not going to have a lot of extra time to talk about stuff we might want to talk about. So I, see, I was yeah. thinking. Let's stick to that hour-long episode, and then if we want to do uh, a hidden track at the end, we can just tack it on, and then people can either listen to it or or not. So I, we can talk about, you know, we can talk we can talk about stuff that is on our mind that is not really in the parameter within the parameters of you know the deep dive mission statement or we could go down a rabbit hole we just don't have time for in the regular episode yeah. or we could do like a mailbag or that, um beautiful we, idea i like that yeah or we could do a corrections okay which okay. is why i ordered this um emergency meeting of the deep dive deep cuts, cuts brain trust <laughs> Because I am in the middle of uh, editing the first episode, the introduction episode, mm-hmm. and I realize that we kind of goofed. And by we, I mean me. Mm. So as we were talking about the band Suicide, we were speculating about 
how it influenced Joy Division and how Joy Division might have influenced them. Right, right. And it finally occurred to me, hey, I better actually, like, look up dates on this and, and figure out what, you know, what actually happened. So while it's quite possible that, um, in fact, probable that Joy Division was influenced by suicide, it seems a little less likely that the opposite was true. So um, let's just uh, go over some of these dates here just to clarify so that those of you who have listened to the episode that know your suicide <laughs> and Joy Division and are getting your pencils sharpened and everything can just... Not. <laughs> you're, be- you're beating them to <laughs> Take, it is what's happening. Yeah, We're that's exactly right. Heading them off at the pass. <laughs> okay, so um, suicide uh, formed in the early 70s and, of course, didn't release an album until 1977. Suicide was a New York band and, of course, Joy Division was the UK. As far as I can tell, Suicide didn't tour um, England in the mid-70s. So Suicide puts out their first album in December of 77. Um, Joy Division Forms in 76 puts out an EP on June 1978 and then releases their first album in April of 1979. Uh-huh. Um, and Joy Division famously never toured the U.S. In fact, they were just days away from going on their first U.S. tour when the lead singer um, committed suicide. We, of course, will dive into that when we talk about Joy Division yeah, in uh, one sure. of our deep dives. So it is... Um, and then, of course, Su- uh, Suicide's second album was released January 1980. So I guess there is a possibility that um, s- the members of Suicide maybe heard the first releases of Joy Division in between their first and second albums. But it seems unlikely, and although I haven't listened to their second album yet, my understanding from what I've read of it it doesn't sound very Joy Division-esque. It sounds like they kind of went in more of a disco direction. So. Yeah, wow. So, <laughs> so oh, well. <laughs> that, my friend, is our a first hidden track. Yeah, excellent. Uh, oh, I, I, I like the idea of a hidden track. Yeah, yeah. And, yes, I do... I am aware of this the the inconsistency of us calling this a hidden track when we're talking about music in the 70s and 80s because of course hidden tracks didn't become a thing until the release of CDs which were the late <laughs> 80s but you know work with me guys this yeah, is that's right. I'm doing the best I can so we, we are now in the future I mean this is a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay So that's it. Thanks for sticking around to the very end for you listeners who did so. And uh, we will talk at you soon. We'll see you.